0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
1: Hi, everyone. Mike here. I just wanted to jump in before the episode gets underway. So, as you might know, Case and I, we record these episodes pretty far in advance. This next one, episode 13, we actually recorded on the 16th so we kind of work on about a two-week delay on these things but i wanted to stop in first to just do a little bit of a forward um we were as we record this on the 16th we recorded this before the speaking out movement started and before certain people were named and we get more into this on episode 14 but i wanted to make sure that we had this out here ahead of time so there are people that have been named and the Speaking Out movement, who sadly are on these episodes. And I can speak for both Case and I as we support the victims, we believe the victims, we hope that they get whatever sort of justice that could help them heal. And we aren't going to delete mentions of people. Like, Austin Aries is on the show. Austin Aries has been named. We kind of view this project as, like, a historical record. So... We're still going to talk about Austin Aries. Obviously, our opinion and all of that will change and has changed because of these things. But we totally understand if because of recent events and like the content matter, if listeners decide that, hey, this person's on these shows, I don't want to hear about them, and they just X out the podcast. We understand that's no, that, that, that's no slight against us, and we support everyone having to cope with this however they need to fit. So, just wanted to jump in here and say this first before we got this episode it, oh, underway. So, what I need to do? Here's the show.
2: To the
0: highway, in a brand new day, over the rainbow, gotta let it go, so far, the train is a
1: car. Fast to finger, down, oh, Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate. Rewind a watch covering Freedom Fight 2010 from October 30th, 2010 from Rahway, New Jersey. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms and apps applicable. We're on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Case Lowe. Case we are already through 2011, or 2010 in Dragon Gate.
2: Yes, the last show of 2010. Uh, I, I did not discuss this with Mike beforehand. I don't think, and I could be wrong, Mike, you can correct me. I don't think we need to do any year-end awards uh, for the end of 2010, because I feel like the Unanim well, maybe not. The unanimous show of the year to me was Enter the Dragon and the and the match of the year was Brian Danielson versus Shingo Takagi. Mike, you might have a different show of the year, but I think our match of the year is the same. And so we are now through the first eighteen months of Dragon Gate USA. And I will say this just briefly. I think the perception of the promotion is that, you know, you have open the historic gate and open the untouchable gate. Uh, which are these historically great shows. And then, you know, things are good in November, and then it, it begins to uh, not be as good as you hit Fearless at the start of January 2010. But as we have finished this promotion after watching Freedom Fight 2010, the show we're discussing today, I, the booking has its moments where it's a little off, but I think the booking is still really good. I can follow almost everything that's happening Uh, The matches are still very, very good. The only thing that's not there is the loud, passionate crowds from the first show. And the more we have gone on, the more I am confused about the lack of traction that this promotion was able to gain. Because, I mean, one of the Canada shows was really weird. The Phoenix shows weren't great. But it's not like these shows are bad. I, I am very confused by the business struggles that DGUSA has had up to this point. Well, I think that it's also just touching on business
1: thing. Indies weren't doing great here. I, I know you've been keeping track also of Ring of Honor at this time. They weren't exactly knocking it dead either. That WWE, is true. WWE is starting to slide a little bit other than the fact of that this time they firmly have cemented WrestleMania weekend as their thing. It's just one of those things that this is something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on our, like, weekly update when we were talking about the end of WWE win. This is a promotion that, to my knowledge, never drew any money. Like, it never was in the black. And it was boistered by WrestleMania weekends. And their first WrestleMania weekend was not a strong WrestleMania weekend for them. And ever since then, having Brian Danielson there certainly helped give them a shot in the arm for 2010. But, I mean, like, you were looking at the place where I've been tracking this. Like, they've been wanting to have, like, 500 people a show, and then they went to two shows a weekend where they can get 700 and they break even. They've moved, and we talked about this, they've moved now having eye-pay-per-views. And it's just something that, when this thing existed, it was a tough time to for independent wrestling. I mean, when arguably the uh, biggest independent promotion, the promotion I was doing the best, was Chakara, I would say, at this time, at least business-wise, there's probably a, more of a tale about the overall, like, just wrestling marketplace and anything. I, I do think, though, talking about best of 2010, my match of the year has to be uh, Shingo Takagi versus Brian Danielson. I mean, that was the only match that... I know you went five on, it was the only match that I had the five-star fear about. Uh, where I differ, I think my show of the year was that Chicago show right after that. The one that had, I, I think it was Untouchable 2010. Just because I absolutely loved Yamato versus Brian Danielson. We had the the best booking that Gabe Spolsky ever did, the best rocket ship I think he's done in any of his promotions with uh, the elevation of Ricochet. Then you also had an incredible Dragon Kid versus uh, uh, Shingo Takagi match and a fun street fight. So that's my show of the year 2010.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. If it wasn't Enter the Dragon for me, it would be Untouchable 2010. I think the, uh, the Philly anniversary show into that Midwest double shot is a really special cluster of shows there. Uh so if you haven't seen those at this point I would highly recommend it. Um Mike are you ready to get into Freedom Fight 2010?
1: Yeah. But just before we go because of the time of the year we kind of consulted we do have like a note here and then we're we'll going into the show. And then our longer timeline, because there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the wrestling world, we're going to do after this review. It's just felt inappropriate, and it would give us like a two-hour long timeline if we were going to do this on the next episode, because there's going to be a long break between this show and the first shows of 2011. So I, I believe you had one thing you wanted to touch on before we got started.
2: Yes, there's a long break between this show and the start of 2011, and the Dragon Gate landscape is completely different. At the start of 2011, so uh, going chronologically, we'll talk about Freedom Fight, which happened on October 30th, 2010, and then we have a plethora of timeline stuff for November and December of that year, and then when we start fresh in January of 2011, like I said, the the Drangit universe just looks completely different, but the one note we have, which is not super consequential in the grand scheme of things, but it's a note from the Gate USA newswire on September 29th, and Mike, we just talked about the business end of Gate USA. The these shows, this show in particular, drew somewhere between 250 and 300 fans, and as we'll talk about as we go along, it's a loaded show in some aspects, and they were they were failing to sell these buildings out or even really draw respectable crowds at points. So I just have this note here. And the specific verbiage that I will pull out of it, or at least emphasize, is the September 29th Newswire, Gabe Zapolsky notes, Open the Dreamgate champion Masato Yoshino versus... And ...has been signed for the first main event of the October 30th show in Rawway, New Jersey. This will be the first of several main events for this card. Now, do I think it's a big deal that Gabe Sapolsky is saying there's going to be multiple main events on a show like this. No, I do not, but I have read every single Newswire note up to this point. And yes, we made fun of them for, you know, it's not the dark matches. It's the bonus matches. And there's a difference. And if you sit in the golden circle, you have access to these sorts of things. But Gabe is very clearly, I think in in this Newswire concerned about drawing And it is the first time that I think he is explicitly diving into what we will later make fun of him for the dream match and the main event number two and main event number three. This is the first true instance of that. I think.
1: Yeah. And we talked about this a bit on the last show. He was offering some crazy deals for this, like 40% off a second first row seat. If you already buy one, when he said in 2019 that he was not going to do ticket deals. So yes, we, we've we seen both in his promotion and both in the business side, he's, I don't want to say floundering, but he's reacting to the new reality of how things are and that some conceptions he had in 2009 turned out not to be true.
2: And with that note, Mike, I am ready for Freedom Fight 2010, are you?
1: I am dead ready for Freedom Fight 2010. So, the, so when we talked about the weird time break here, this show was taped on... October 30th, 2010. It would not air until the middle of January, which... Brutal. Huge time skip. I'm, I'm pulling up the exact date here on Cage Match. So this show would air on on January 7th, and the Untouchable show airs after this. So the Untouchable show that happened all the way back in September airs in the middle of November, and then three weeks after Freedom Fight, which they confusingly call that one Freedom Fight 2011. There's no other Freedom Fight in t- Oh, there is later a Freedom Fight 2011, so... Yes, yeah, that's what... Yeah. Yes, so Gabe makes this really confusing here, but Freedom Fight 2010 takes place in Rahway, New Jersey, at the Rawway Rec Center on October 30th, 2010. We do have some dark matches, the bonus card, as you put it, before we get into the show itself. The first one was Rip Impact versus Derek Rise. Impact won in four minutes, and in what I'm assuming is a six-way freestyle, at least looking at this on Cage Match had Sammy Callahan defeat, Amasis, Caleb Conley, someone who we will be seeing a lot more of soon. Uh Cheech, Ophidian, and Silas Young in eleven minutes and thirty seconds. And that was the sole part sole matches on the bonus card. And getting into the show itself, the show opens up with Jimmy Jacobs coming into the ring at the Rawway Rec Center, which I have to say this was a terrible facility for, for the show for his match against Eric Cannon. He would defeat Eric Cannon in 12 minutes and 12 seconds with the end times.
2: Yeah. The venue is no good. And I, you know, I guess it, it, it doesn't matter because he's not drawing people anyways, but you know, you look at the the similar sized crowd the night before in Massachusetts in a building that didn't look like it could hold many more people than that, and it had a balcony, and everybody was kind of crammed in there, and it looked really nice on camera. The vi- the venue for Freedom Fight just feels spacious and empty and daunting, and I am not a fan of it. And then as for the Jacobs versus Eric Cannon match, um. The night before, Jacobs cut a promo about how he was going to wrestle, and he wasn't going to bleed anymore, and he wasn't going to jump off stuff. And then they booked him against Eric Cannon, which seems (laughs) uh, counterproductive, and it's not necessarily a shot at Eric Cannon. I mean, I I am very intrigued to watch how Cannon evolves on this promotion as we go along, because he's never... Really been one of my guys. I don't really like his IWA Mid South stuff, which people, you know, some people are really into. The DUF stuff, which is not, it's not in existence yet. I'm, I'm foreshadowing, but you know, I, I don't know how much that holds up. This match was, was fine. I mean, Jimmy Jacobs does get busted open on some headbutts by Eric Cannon, which they related to the Moxley match from the night before, which actually I liked quite a bit. Um, I, I think this is. My general thought on most Eric Cannon matches, most of the matches not that interesting, but he has a really quality finishing stretch in him. He's got about 90 seconds to two minutes that are really, really good. And I thought that was the case here as well. I'm gonna take the other side. I
1: like Eric Cannon a lot. I think I've talked about this before. I've watched him a lot, Chakara. I always found him to be like someone that, you know, this is an interesting promotion for him, and I know that's something that in the reports people were thinking that he was kind of out of uh, did not fit the promotion but I, I went three and a half stars on this I thought this was a lot of fun and I felt like that this was a really fun opener of course like you, you can't do anything about the fact that he just gets busted his cut reopens like he made that a point of promo I, I guess he would have loved it that he wouldn't have that cut busted open but I can't really slight him for that and then there's were like little moments in this match that I enjoy like there was a corner exploder that cannon hit on Jacobs that looked like it sucked. And for, for like, a weird crowd, this is a, this is a crowd, and this is Gabe's only show that he does in Rawway, at least for for DGUSA. Uh, Evolve runs in the Rawway Brick Center a lot at this time. This crowd goes nuts for this, and it's kind of dead for other parts during the show. I don't know if that came across to you, guys, but, like, the crowd was really into it, and I thought this was a pretty smart finish with Jimmy Jacobs getting the end times and starting his elevation up the cart, but the venue sucked. Like when you looked at it from the hard cam, you would see like the entranceway and the entranceway would have like a nice dark scrim on it, and you'd have like the tunnel they come out of the screens would be okay. But then as soon as they would go to any sort of floor cameras or when they would zoom out the hard cam, you would see that like I know Lane's and Rich hate this, but you'd see exposed basketball nets and it just became like a real big shit show there.
2: Yeah, the exposed hoops certainly a factor at the Rawway rec center. Uh, For Jacobs Cannon, it was, I mean, it was, it was not bad. It was not bad. I thought it was aggressively fine. Gentleman's three stars from me.
1: That's fair. After that match, we had our first promo from Ronan. Chuck Taylor had a very wild t-shirt on that I don't think he'd be wearing in 2020. Gargano had like, Gargano was mostly the person on mic for this. Basically like talking about the big trick they pulled on Shima and how much he looked forward and how glad he was to kick him in his stupid head. And I thought that, considering how Gargano was here and how Gargano would portray himself as a heel later, not some of his stronger stuff. Chuck pulled the promo back together, focusing on warriors was coming on later. And then Rick Swan said Ronan baby for the first time, which is probably did the not- biggest thing to take out of this promo, to be honest.
2: Yes. Did not notice the Chuck Taylor shirt until I just now am looking at the footage of it. Knowing Chuck Taylor, I'm assuming he's wearing this out of irony, but probably not something in his closet anymore um it's like a big
1: dog shirt
2: yeah it says uh i I don't know exactly what the image is supposed to be but it does say i'm an american i have the right to own a gun and then it is a scary looking man that looks like he has a rifle draped across his lap which is scary as for this promo and every other promo on the show not really a fan of it i thought this was an off night for promos and i didn't think this Ronan one was all that great
1: yeah, yeah. I thought the Chuck aspect of it was a lot better, which is something that, you know, obviously the focus will be on Gargano as we talk about the series as Gar- Gargano kind of becomes the guy, but Chuck Taylor has already proven to be a, a solid promo. Why would you have Johnny cut the line share of it here?
2: Mike, I think as we go along with this series, we need to, and I'm genuine when I say this, we need to make an honest effort to watch these shifting trends of the Ronin members to see if we can pinpoint where exactly Gabe Zapolsky is sick of Chuck Taylor shit. (laughs) Now I'm a huge Chuck Taylor fan. I think he's misused. Basically he's been misused basically everywhere with the exception of a brief time in Chikara. And I think his role in AEW is perfect for him. Now I don't think Gabe really ever liked the guy. I think he just felt like he had to book him because he had some buzz. But as we'll go along tonight, I think Rich Swan really elevates his stock, both as a promo and as a wrestler. Gabe obviously loves Gargano. I'm afraid things are only going to get worse for our friend Sexy Chucky T. That is fair to say. And then
1: right after that, we got our next match of the night. This was the tag team that came together for one night only. The biggest tag team ever on the North American Independence is Gabe. Called it the night before, Brody Lee versus Aki Bono. Brody Lee wins in two minutes and 49 seconds with a big boot and Casey, you take the floor here. Cause I have some thoughts I'm going to say at the end here.
2: This was like a bad 1980s, all Japan match. Oh fuck. You're right. <laughs> there was a ref bump. There were chair shots and Akibono. Well, Aki Bono kicked out at two and the referee just counted three. Anyways. Yes. It was, it, I mean, it was like Ricky Choshu, was uh, playing politics here. I mean, it was just a disaster of epic proportions. Akibono was someone this. I went to the voices of wrestling slack and we tried to figure out what the best Aki Bono match of all time is. And if you have what you think is a really good Aki Bono match, please tweet me at underscore in your case and let me know because you know, he's, he seems like a genuinely nice guy out of the ring, but I have never seen an Aki match that I've even thought was good, quite honestly. Um, and this Brody Lee match continues that trend. Thank God it was only two minutes, but it was an abysmal two minutes at that. Case is not a fan of the Cho veterans. <laughs> no, sir. Uh,
1: the best part of this match was how great Aki Bono's theme is. That Wait. is true. I will
2: give him that.
1: Aki theme rules in this. Awkward brawling. Like, this is... It, 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 like when you said 1980s the thing that popped my mind immediately was have you ever seen the, uh, the Antonio Noki versus uh, the great Antonio match
2: <laughs> i indeed i have
1: kind of reminded me of that in some ways when you brought that up because I was not very of this it just was awkward it definitely looked like akiboto got his shoulder up at two but bryce signaled for the bell anyway and a quick cut to the backstage the after this. the
2: quickest the quickest cut to the back because it almost it kind of cuts off chakarrison's voice yes they clearly there was some bullshit chant or something uh that was that was going on during the live crowd (laughs) that was cut for the dvd broadcast because that was the pay-per-view yes yes because that was the most aggressive cut to the back i mean that was a tna russo era to the back that there ever was in dragon Gate usa
1: just wild yeah this is unless you want to watch weird things you can go find better use of 10 minutes in your time like it's just it's not as bad as the stuff that was happening at, at mercury rising 2010 but it's in the low lights of dragon gate usa in 2010. We go to backstage in that quick cut as Sammy Callahan can't get the chance he deserves. That's all I wrote down for this. He probably said something else. I zoned out because of Sammy Callahan.
2: It's, hey, God, he's so cheesy. It's just, it's too much. I hate it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then we we went back to, was this a match that was built as a main event case? I'm going to ask you this throughout the sh- the show. How, which ones of these matches were built
2: as main events? God, that's such a great question, Mike. I mean... You know, in 2010, I don't really think it's fair to call anything a main event if it involves homicide. But if you look at the October 25th, 2010, DG USA Newswire, main event number two tag team attraction B.B. Hulk and homicide versus John Moxley and Akira Tozawa. So I'm one for
1: one in calling out Gabe's uh, main event anywhere. I- I'm not going to look at any of the uh, news wires going through. I'm just going to guess whenever he calls something a special main event.
2: It's something to ke- It's something we are going to keep track of. Yep,
1: so I'm-, I'm writing this in my notebook that I have for this. One for one in main events. <laughs> we will keep track of this just like we're keeping track of the Cardinals since so it'll be a fun thing to discuss when the series is over. But... This one was billed as a main event. It was the Kamikaze USA team of John Moxley and Akira Tozawa versus the World 1 team of BB Hulk and Homicide. I'm actually kind of sad that Homicide is going to be gone soon after this because that's such a fun thing to say. World 1 team, BB Hulk and Homicide. Uh, Hulk Penn Tozawa with the FTX in 13 minutes and 31 seconds. And Case, I know we kind of
2: talked about this last week, but what a pair of teammates here. Did you find Homicide to be weirdly over in this match? Well, yeah, it's New Jersey. Uh, yeah, that, uh, they're all trash people. That makes sense. I mean, I <laughs> like Homicide, but New Jersey is just another story. But no, I, Homicide comes out. And it's it's the largest pop on the show uh, to that point. It, I think it's sustained. I mean, people yeah. were all about Homicide in Rawway, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, the teams here, I mean, B.B. Hulk and Homicide, it's interesting. They represent kind of two distinct uh, subgenres of hip hop. BB Hulk very into the break dancing and the glitz and the glamour of sort of a dance infused hip hop. Homicide from the streets loves New York hip hop. I'm not turning this into an episode of art school albums, but I I find I was wondering, you know, what do these guys talk about? And, oh, absolutely. Uh, I think. Break dancing might be the answer. More power to them. And then Moxley and Tozawa. I mean, Two God, lunatics. I, just a team I wish we had a year of on tape of them going around the globe and just tormenting people. I mean, I really, really <laughs> like what they did here. I, Tozawa makes a great partner for Moxley. And I thought Tozawa and BB Hulk were excellent against one another. But the, the Mox-Tozawa tag team specifically, I mean, I really wish... We have 12, we had 12 months of them going from territory to territory and just wrecking fools.
1: I would want to have a uh, Wrestling Road Diaries of the two of them. And (laughs) Mox
2: seems like a Trans Am kind of guy. Would you say so? (laughs) Look, I, I, and I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I will, I will say a Mox and Tozawa Wrestling Road Diaries feels like it involves a lot of nudity. And not just, the, a lot of, if you've watched the
1: uh, Ricochet Best Friends thing, probably lots of Zawa nudity while we're at it. <laughs> Specifically, Akira Tozawa nudity. I'm just imagining now them, you know, going on I-10, you know, traveling to Southeast, Moxley chain-smoking, and Akira is just naked in the car. Just naked <laughs> in the car.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, I'm like, I think we've nailed this visual.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... The the thing that I loved about this the chemistry with Hulk and Homicide, which what they did not have bad chemistry for like one match only, like the two of them worked. Their Homicide was very pleased that World One had a hand gesture that he could throw up on his way out there, and immediately, a- immediately act like he was going to smoke one too. So like it, it it weirdly worked between these two teams, and this was like a fun tag match. It
2: was I uh, it was good. It's not one of those that I'll be revisiting. I don't no. really think it's a hidden gem. Because, I mean, Homicide was better here because he could brawl with Moxley, and they did a lot of that in this match and then after the match as well. This was, to me, completely carried by the Tozawa-Mox chemistry and charisma and then the chemistry between Hulk and Tozawa. It felt like a road to match. You know, it felt yeah. like a, a an undercard Korkin match with some big names on it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And, and unfortunately... There's just not a lot of room for that in Dragon Gate USA. Just you know, it's I, it's tough because I understand the purpose of a match like this happening, and I didn't have an issue with it, and I didn't need it to be great. But yeah, it, it was just kind of there. I mean, I went three and a quarter stars on it. Again, it was it was fine, but as a match like this that is clearly building towards something. But given the fact that it wasn't great, is it selling tickets? I I do not know if in 2010, 2011, people were going, you know, we're seeing the bigger picture here. And I think that is unfortunately uh, just um, an unfortunate part of independent professional wrestling is that sometimes you just have to be so immediate and direct with your stories. Whereas in Japan, things are a little more spaced out. It's a little easier to see where things are going. and It's a little bit easier to follow the journey. And I think Hulk and Homicide versus Mox and Tozawa is just a part of that journey.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, when we're talking about Tozawa and Moxley, you do kind of get a little bit of that last year with Hulk and Shota. Oh, not Hulk, sorry, Hom. Uh, Moxley and Shota Amino. So there has been that there. Yeah, I went three and, ha- I went three and a quarter on this as well. I, I felt like that this is kind of the show, at least in DGUSA, where Tozawa kind of like tapped into who he was and who he would be for the remainder of his time in the United States. And we'll get into one, like, the big cornerstone to Zawa in America matches after the show review. But it did he seemed to be, like, getting it a little bit. And I feel like that maybe, like, working with uh, someone like Moxley, who's a very expressive person, maybe rubbed off on them as well. And it was, like, a fun finish. Like, I thought the FTX, I liked the FTX a lot more than the EVO and the EVOP. So I thought using that as the finish was kind of cool. But then we get into the post-match stuff, which I hate.
2: Yes, uh, a lengthy. Well, I I I will talk about the brawl because I think stuff happened before then, but I yeah. I can't say for sure. I don't have it in my notes, but it, it ended up being a lengthy brawl between Moxley and Homicide, where at one point they brawled into the crowd, and it was so dark that my screen was just black. I just could not see a thing. And then you know I I, I don't mind, and I think Homicide, it, it's kind of a Homicide Eddie Kingston thing that I I don't necessarily like. But I also don't mind it. I, I think I respect it, if anything, of like, you know, they do this big brawl, and then Moxley specifically targets the arm of Homicide. And Homicide goes into some really over-the-top yelling selling, which, again, it seems like a thing that I've seen Kingston do a million times, which, again, not totally my thing, but I respect it. I see what they're trying to do. It was a fine brawl. It was just—it was so long in the tooth. It just didn't need—it didn't need to be that long.
1: And but before this, Moxley cut a promo that we couldn't really hear. Great production there. Where the only thing I made out of it is that he's been fighting at the fence since he was 12. Like that was the one quote I have. And then it sounds like
2: something Moxley would say,
1: yeah. And then Yamato attacked Hulk and that took out Hulk. And then they the referees noticeably took the two of them to the back and then they had this brawl, which the crowd was dead for considering how hot the crowd was for homicide. The crowd went dead for this case, like remarkably so. And you couldn't see. Most of it, and I'm just stunned, and I'm somewhat offended that this was put on pay-per-view, just because you could not see a good five minutes of this. Yeah, it,
2: again, just just too long, poor production. Why they don't have a light on their camera, I do not know. This plagued them in Chicago. It plagued them here in New Jersey. I I don't understand. I don't understand how this is a consistent issue with them now. And it's something that would be a
1: problem with WWE throughout its tenure. They would never light things well the sound quality would be terrible at times and this i guess is more of an offense thing for me because they they decided that this 10 to 15 minute thing on a two hour and 15 minute pay-per-view that this should go this long and it could have been something where they were told okay brawl for like three to five and they went 10 instead but this thing wasn't live on pay-per-view they had this back and they sent the d they sent the uh tape over to the providers and the distribution company how this made tv and how this made terrestrial taped pay-per-view i think is offensive like it's just something that on a show that's this short you can't see or hear anything and then you suddenly hear homicide screaming because he's working his arm which that's fine i know homicide and kingston are guys that like that kind of style of memphis southeast selling of now you have the thing that in a big crowd brawl to build upon but Everything leading up to it and then still brawling after that until a bunch of geeks pulled Mox off there was a terrible thing to put on pay-per-view, case. It's terrible.
2: I agree, Mike. It is terrible.
1: And then we had a promo with Aries, Ricochet, and Kiki Horiguchi. It was just Also Ares. not
2: great. <laughs> also <laughs> not great.
1: Also not great either, where uh, Aries says that he's going to pay them all, make them all pay the price for what they did over this, and for one day he'd be a Warriors member. That's
2: it. Do Ricochet, Genki Horiguchi, and Austin Aries. Other than their profession, do they have one thing in common between the three of them?
1: No, not at all.
2: Yeah, no. I just, I uh, Horaguchi seems like such a delightful human. Ricochet and Austin Aries are both unlikable, but in different ways. Oh, entirely, which is really yeah. It's interesting because Ricochet seems like the dude. If he wasn't famous, he would have a lot of pictures of his car in like a sepia tone. Like that would be his social media presence. And then Austin Aries is talking about wet pennies and whatever else on his, on his social media platforms. We all have a voice and we can all use it. And Austin Aries chooses to use his voice in just astounding ways at times. I'm wondering what's the last
1: thing that Austin Aries tweeted, Case. I'm just interested right now. You, you... Well,
2: I know he was a, he was a coronavirus hoax person for a while. I don't know where he is currently standing on the pandemic that is wrecking havoc across the world. It looks like he's talking about stem cell therapy. That makes sense. That's a big Austin Aries thing that just tracks um, his facial hair, even for being a professional wrestler, is still absurd. And looks like Austin Aries did a podcast recently, and the description is... Uh, to discuss why he's all in when it comes to stem cell therapy, what the COVID-inspired masks are really covering. Aries still anti-COVID, that a boy. His new political party, his thoughts on the future of live sports post-COVID and more. Love it.
1: That's a. I, I'll see if, if anyone I, I know might listen to that and tell me how wealthy he is, because I'm not wasting my time, but that sounds very Austin awesome, Aries. Joe Gagney Podmask, fire it up, brother. Yeah, Joe Gagney, come on. Uh, we need to know what happens there. After that, we had Case. Was this another listed main event? This
2: indeed was another listed main event. Two for Mike, two. Main event number three. Do you want to guess what the tagline for main event number three was? And think deep into the recesses of your your mind that is fluent in Gabe of First time in America close special challenge match. So main event special challenge. Yes. Main event special challenge because Mike, this is not the first time this match happened in America. This can't be first time ever. No, 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 not first time ever, but also not the first time in America. They wrestled, uh, just their history. As we get into it, leading up to this match, they had wrestled three times once in 2004 that I don't believe was televised, which is a damn shame Once at the Battle of Los Angeles in 2007, and then once at Gate of Destiny 2007, Shima won all of those matches. Shima would win here, and then their next two singles matches, Kobe World 2013 and Final Gate 2015, maybe the most infamous Shima singles matches there are, Uh, and he lost both of those to Shingo Takagi. Mike, what do you think of this match, though?
1: I think that when you compare it it's interesting because I don't remember that BOLA match. And if I don't remember that BOLA match, that tells me that it wasn't great, <laughs> to be honest. That's a,
2: that's a lot of BOLA 2007 and stuff that looked good on paper. That's right. Was, it was
1: okay. And then, of course, I wouldn't have been able to see a 2004 match. If I managed to pull that one out, Case, then we'd have other questions about me. But uh, this was worse than the two other ones, but not much worse than the Kobe World 2013 match, in my opinion. Yes. I went three it, and a quarter. Uh...
2: Oh really? Yeah. Okay, I went three and three quarters. I I I liked it. I think these two I mean the Final Gate fifteen match is just a masterpiece of professional wrestling and it's nowhere near that. It's not it's not great. It's very good and I think there is a clear distinction in that difference where I never really felt like this match was was really getting somewhere. I mean there are there are big moves and Shima kicks out of basically all of Shingo's big moves in those match which I found to be very interesting. And then I thought the finish was satisfying to me, but it was it was missing something and I can't exactly put my finger on it. I mean to me the the opening grappling was a little lingering and just uninspired. But normally these two can can make up for that with just their incredible flurries of offense, and that never really happened here. But again, I went three and three quarters. I thought it was was very good. Uh, for the reasons you've listed,
1: also, the crowd was completely dead during this. Yes, strangely dead, especially given the reaction homicide got. Yeah, completely dead audience here. This match, I did not look at the timing before I watched the show. I thought this match went like 23 minutes. Like, this match felt like it went forever, and it, a lot of that was that opening grappling thing that... You know, did a Dreamgate style opening grappling thing, and when you have a dead crowd, it doesn't help. And then something you did not mention is that Shima really botched the Tokarev uh, som- somersault dropkick that he does, the springboard one leading into the finish. That was supposed to be the last big move before the Meteora. And then he tried to make it look better by throwing a punch at the back of of Shingo's skull, but the camera was in a way that you could tell that he did not, that he whiffed completely. And that just, like, this was a match that, that probably knocked it down a quarter star for me, like, how bad the finish was in my mind. Yeah, so. for
2: whatever for whatever reason, it, it registered with me, but it didn't bother me. It was just like, ah, oh, that's yeah. a shame. They messed that up. But it didn't it didn't affect my enjoyment of the match. But I totally see how it would for most people.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, I feel like that really that 2015 match still is Shima's best singles match of all time. And these guys, as proven through that match, would have that chemistry just at this point this was the wrong match for the wrong crowd and they weren't on so and also have shima kicking out of everything
2: everything i mean from what we know about shima and shingo it's not necessarily surprising that shima didn't want to lay down for any of shingo's big moves
1: or or say no just say okay this but kick but kick out this and not calling the match after like kicking out of the Stage Dream, or kicking out the Bloodfall, which usually is a, match, is a big kick out in, in Shingo's matches. I don't remember very many matches he won with the Bloodfall. Kicking out of Made in Japan. Kicking out of Original Falconry. Kicking out of DVD. Kicking out of a really good-looking pumping bomber.
2: He made... why, do you, why, why do you think Shima would do that, Mike?
1: Well, it is known much later. When I say much later, I'm talking about 2019, when Shingo Takagi left Dragon Gate and went independent for approximately uh, 24 hours before, <laughs> b- before before uh, knew about this.
2: I w- I was just thinking about that that brief like summer of 2018 when Shingo when we knew Shingo was going to leave and it was like oh my god he's going to go to Big Japan and all Japan and he'll do stuff there and I was trying to get U.S. Indies to book him. I was reaching out to companies to be like hey have you heard anything about Shingo and then he just showed up in New Japan and became. One of the most beloved wrestlers on the planet, rightfully so. Mind rightfully you. But so. There was, there was that real period of like, Shima or Shingo's going to leave Drangate, He's going to go all over the world. It's going to be awesome. Not so much. <laughs> and we don't know specifics, and I don't think
1: we ever will. And because I don't think this is something that. Okay, I, I'll say one thing here that I've known for a couple of years that I know I've talked to you about this case. I think you know, referring to it, because the two of them after Shingo was leaving Dragon Gate, did appear on some North American cards together. They were at Battle of Los Angeles and have been told through the grapevine that there was an incident backstage where people were asking where Shima was and Shingo said, don't know where they are, don't ask me again. So that would be, that would continue something that there was a breakdown between these two. I don't know if the breakdown was already starting to happen in Twainton, but I do know that by the time that both of them left Dragon Gate and still to this day there is a huge disdain for each other
2: mike correct me if i'm wrong because i I, i'm pretty sure i heard this but i'm not locked in but i believe i remember either shima gave an interview and said this or shingo gave an interview and claimed shima said this that shima at one point feared handing over the reins of Dragon Gate to shingo takagi because shima said something along the lines of your wrestling style will kill this company
1: Oh no! That I remember exactly. Referring to, uh, there was a like an interview that was done that Shingo and uh, Kierzosawa tweeted about this publicly. Yes,
2: yes, yes, yes.
1: About like this happened, and it was like remember like the, the style of like we did not want to leave the dojo, did not want to leave the company to you, for the excess reason that the, their two ideologies of wrestling were so distinct and Shima is so set in his, as we've seen it since then, that did not work that those two were oil and water and went from a point where Sh- Shima and Shingo, she Shingo was brought into Shima's uh junior as his protege. He was the last member of crazy max. A lot of people forget that, but Shingo was technically a member of crazy max for like six months.
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll eventually do a Dragon gate conspiracy theory episode. And Mike and I have a ton of thoughts on the training of Shingo Takagi because there's a ton of rumors that are out there, but uh, for a long time, the, faces, at least to Western crowds, the faces of Dragon Geek were Shima and Shingo. And that was because slightly they were attached at the hip and it seemed like they had a good relationship, but we don't know where it went awry. I had completely forgotten about the BOLA 2018 stuff, but you're right. I, I remember hearing a lot of, um, uncomfortable tension because, you know, I mean, I've complained about it, but most American indie wrestlers don't know what's happening in Drangate, And maybe they were a little confused, but I, I remember there being a lot of uncomfortable tension in the Bola locker room because of Shima and Shingo. So it's, it's unfortunately a very real issue that because of the nature of Shingo seemingly being so firm in New Japan and strong hearts just being unable to find a home in Japan... I don't think their paths are are going to cross. So any sort of resolution is going to have to come outside of the locker room. And I just don't know if that'll ever happen. And it's, we, we bring it up because it's relevant to the current state of the company. And a little bit like we talked about when we had Jay on the podcast last month of just the changing state of the locker room. And we are in a completely new era of the company and, You know, I'm sure five, six years from now, we'll hear stuff about, oh, you know, these two guys had real issues in 2019 and 2020. But we we don't have any inklings of that right now. It seems like it is, once again, a co-op operation, that it is, you know, in some weird way, a one big happy family. And I think that was the presentation that was given a lot of the time during the Shima and Okamura regime. And as time has gone on, that has proven not to be the case. So any singles match between the two, uh, and there's you know five of them out there and four of them on tape. I I look for those sorts of things of you know a cheap shot here or there or just their chemistry because it's very clear that they have real life issues with one another.
1: Yeah, and if there's anything discerned from here, I would say that this was a lot more like matches that Shima would have when he, where he would eat someone's lunch, and kick out yes. their things and make them look like crap. And for someone like Shingo Takagi, who, for a lot of people, especially at this time, Shingo has kind of re-come, re-entered the Western consciousness in an awesome way.
2: It's but, beautiful to see. I really enjoy the fact that so many people are into Shingo.
1: But, like, for... And I really hate doing the experience card here, but it's something that I look at everything, and I think you're worried this. I look at this at a like very big wide view, at least with, like, Dragon Gate and the West... For like about a two year period, Shingo was like the f- the banner wave waiver in the West for Dragon Gate, and during his excursion in Ring of Honor. So, he- it's not like that Shingo is just like some no no per- nobody. And like other than this crowd being a piece of shit, the crowd would know who Shingo Takagi is. I mean, Shingo Takagi won the Wrestling Observer Rookie of the Year award back before really uh, Dragon Gate cards were really getting up there high on that. I mean, other than the initial thing of, oh, God, Torimon's insane. We're going to give Dragon Kid the Dragon Rana move of the year for like three years in a row. There was (laughs) like a time that they went like this, and then they reentered the Western consciousness. And in a lot of ways, these two men were the two banner wavers. They're the two people that embody that here. And we had what I still think is a very weird match and and a match that sadly out of that series is probably
2: the is probably the third worst. One final note on, not even this match, but just on one of the participants in it. Mike, I don't know if you noticed this, but I did. This is the last time we will see Shingo Takagi until WrestleMania weekend 2013. Well, a lot of things
1: are going to be happening that would have him be in Japan.
2: <laughs> yes. it's. I'm sure Shingo uh, didn't hate the fact that he no longer had to fly to Rawway, New Jersey to work in front of a dead crowd.
1: Yes, yeah, so we will say goodbye to Shingo Takagi. I'm gonna look up how many shows he's gone for because you say WrestleMania thirteen and people could probably go, oh wow, that's a good period of time. But this is on this is on October thirtieth, twenty ten. He would not
2: I was trying to do some mental math. I don't know if we will talk about him for the rest of twenty twenty.
1: I don't think we will because it's thirty shows. Thirty shows. And this is they're about to get off the IP review so that denotation's going to be legit. It's not going to this so there's about twenty eight shows, so yeah, no we're not going to talk about him until 2021 on this series.
2: It's a damn shame because I, I think Shingo was on every show from the inception to now and was consistently enjoyable on on every single outing that he had.
1: Yeah, he might have been my, at least the Dragon Gate side MVP, it's either him or Yamato, up to this point.
2: I would agree
1: with that. And now he, everyone take a moment to remember uh, the Pumping Hawk and we will see him in the future but that will do it for him for the next six months of the series at least so any other thoughts we 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 knew that we were going to talk a little bit about this match a little bit about like the overall environment about it Do you have anything else about it you wanted to touch on before we move on
2: no mike what happened after the match
1: well shima grabbed the microphone and you the audio quality here was terrible but it was a shimo promo where he thanks everyone for their support in 2010 and he said that they would return in 2011 And they'll be returning to New Jersey in 2011, not here in New Jersey. They'll be going, I think, to Union City. And they said that there will be a tournament to crown the Open, the United Gate champions. It's been a while, but it's time for them to crown a new set of champions.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited about what's to come. I love Gate tag team wrestling. I think it's the best style of wrestling there is. Uh, there's n- nobody I want introducing a title more than Shiba. He seems to love the idea of it. I'm all for it. Yeah, and that will be what
1: we're going to be covering on the next four weeks of the series, pretty much. There, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with this, with them deciding a United Gate champion. What does not decide a United Gate champion is the next match, which is Sammy Callahan versus Shane Smalls. Sammy wins in two minutes and 40 seconds. Very rare on these shows that we have two squashes on them, but this is a show that has two of them. And... Yeah, he wanted the stretch muffler.
2: Yes, uh, this is the introduction of Sammy Callahan to the main cards, and we will have to deal with him basically from here on out. I thought the stretch muffler that he won the match with looked great. Shane Smalls, who was a Kentucky wrestler who passed away in 2018, he did one thing in this match that I don't think I had ever seen before and I really liked, which is that he stood on the chest of Sammy Callahan and then did a a standing shooting star press, which was really cool. I don't think I had ever seen that. But it was a it was a squash and you know Callahan at this point, firmly a CZW guy. He was either booking NWA Force One at this point or was about to begin booking NWA Force One at this point and needed to take that next step, needed some legitimacy, had been used and evolved but hadn't really made a name there. Him being on Dragon Gate USA became a big step for Sammy, and we will slowly see the evolution of what was to come for a guy that, I mean— He's been everywhere, uh, good or bad. Sammy Callahan has been everywhere. And I think this is the start of a turning point in his career. I think like the
1: wild thing about that and about him is that really at this time, like he was, he was based in New Jersey, I think, cause he was mainly doing CZW at this time. Yes. And this was like his big step up, at least to like a larger kind of audience. Something that I did not know about Shane Smalls. I did not know he passed away, but his uh, trainer, same trainer as Chuck Taylor, Brandon Walker,
2: that yeah, that you know what, the Kentucky school, when you pump out Shane Small's Chuck Taylor Ricochet, you're not doing too bad. I would say not too badly at
1: all. After that, we went to the back for another promo and this is Jimmy Jacobs, and as you said earlier, not a strong promo night for most people. He says folks have been underestimating him, but his comeback is incomplete. He wants to until he wins the singles championship, and this is now the road for him to get his Freedom Gate title. It was fine. It was fine. I I mean, out of all the promos on the show, the backstage stuff, this was probably the best one. But it was not like a special Jimmy Jacobs promo, to be fair. Now, I don't think this match was a main event.
2: I would agree with that. I think the one he cut the uh, the night before was much better. No, no. The following match, at least on the Newswire I have pulled up, not a main event.
1: Well, you only have 24 hours to declare it the fourth main event. So.
2: Yes, that is that is correct, But it, <laughs> which which he has done in the past, but not on this show. Not
1: on this show. He, he gets crazy with the news wires as he goes along, but not at this point yet. This was Ronan's in-ring debut, Chuck Taylor, Johnny Gargano, and Rich Swan defeating the Warriors international team of Kinky Hork, Gucci, Ricochet, and for one night only, Austin Aries, in 21 minutes and 13 seconds with a Gargano Hurts donut on Ricochet. And what I thought was the match of the night.
2: Yes, y- yes to that. The uh, I, I. What do you think before we even talk about the match, the aesthetic of Ronan or lack thereof? What did you think of that? Because yes, this match came together in only twenty-four hours, but I, it, I. I don't know. I wanted more uh, pizzazz from the Ronan debut, just from their looks.
1: Yeah, I mean, they would get a look and they would get more coherent as it goes along, especially as we get into 2011, but it did definitely feel like three distinct guys teaming for the first time.
2: At least in terms of their look, because I don't know about you, Mike, I thought in the ring, these three, Taylor, Gargano, Swan, for their first time teaming together in a trios match, had a stupid amount of chemistry. I could not believe how good they looked as a team, specifically the Gargano middle rope spear into Chuck Taylor hitting a lion salt, into Rich Swan hitting a top rope fro- frog splash. That combo right there, I think, was grossly misused in this match because it comes at about the halfway point. When to me, and I think in front of a hot crowd, that would have gotten a ginormous reaction, especially because that's the first time they do that, just at, you know, as a trio. And I think that should have led to the finish because it looked so clean. And so good. And there's just a lot of different moments in this match where Ronan is doing a double team or a triple team move. And I'm stunned that it's their first match together because they look really, really good in the ring with one another.
1: Yeah, like that's the same thing. Like the finishing stretch was insane. Like they murdered Ricochet every way possible.
2: The meanest super kick of Johnny Gargano's career. He cleaned Ricochet's clock with a super kick. It just was like a really
1: awesome match uh gink it started off pretty low-key ginky horiguchi cutting a rug and that was kind of funny and then swan like at this point this would have been like my first big exposure to swan but swan played such a great heel in this match like he was someone that got it to a certain extent like chuck taylor i've seen him play heel before and johnny gargano if you want to read into it the way he wanted you to read into it he was being incredibly insincere about how he was before but Swan in this was incredible. Like Austin Aries was for a guy in his position, gave up a lot to these guys and And specifically,
2: specifically Swan. And as we go along, I would, I I am very curious. I don't know how often they're in the ring with one another after this, but I want more Aries and Swan stuff because I, I think I thought they had really good chemistry. And to your point, I mean, Swan, uh, he's 19 at this point. He's, I, I think, working CCW, but he's really in no major places. Didn't look super impressive uh, with his debut match against Scott Reed at the anniversary show. I mean, it was clear there was talent there. And then he had, and to no fault of his, ho- his own, had that abysmal match against Homicide the night before. And then comes out here and it's like, oh my God. I mean, if if this is what he's capable of now, I, you know, I, I would be saying in 2010, I can't wait to see how he ha- can't wait.
0: In the hobby Off Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: To see how he progresses, and he is someone that when he got signed by WWE in 2015, 2015 or 2016, I don't remember the exact year, but he was someone who, you know, pound for pound, there were there were guys that were having a plethora of match of the year contenders that you know you could say, okay, they're better wrestlers than Rich Swan, but in terms of accomplishing a task, doing what you you went out there to do, and just being a a great professional wrestler on a micro level, when got I looked at him as one of the 10 to 15 best wrestlers in the world and it is really enjoyable to see the foundation of that here as just a young guy that looked fearless came across with so much charisma and had so many great spots in this match it was really cool to see him shine as brightly as he did
1: yeah yeah and it's something that I keep on going back to my comparison that I'm certainly going to completely bury six feet underground by the time I'm done with it if Ricochet was, an, was the Elvis Andrus, and we already said that Uha Nation Apollo Cruz is the Nefertali Feliz, is he the Matt Harrison of this trade? Because he ends up being a very solid wrestler for like that time period.
2: Briefly, and I say briefly, remind me of Matt Harrison's role in Major League Baseball.
1: Oh, he was the uh, number two to number three on the Rangers during that time. Uh, he, he was always kind of like a solid baseball player but he wasn't exceptional like he was someone that got traded over to the uh to the Phillies as a member of the trade I believe that was the uh god which trade is that? I can't believe I'm blanking on this yeah he, he was a part of the Cole Hamels trade
2: okay all right um I will I will say that's okay for now we might have to adjust our Uha and our swan positioning at some point but that is not a move I am ready to make at this point this part of the show he was a 2012 all-star
1: as well matt harrison
2: damn okay i gotta look at his baseball reference when we're done because i'm drawing a blank on who matt harrison is <laughs> if he's a 2012 all-star okay that's fine that fits rich swan we can move along with the show my friend yeah i went four and a quarter stars for this
1: same here uh that this was a match that on a show that i think is very skippable if i was to get the power to put together a road of Johnny Gargano uh, documentary or DVD set when they would release it for WWE and now assuming that they have this library at the time of recording this is a match I would put on there
2: I think it is crucial to the careers of Taylor Swan and Gargano I think if you're going to make any sort of best of comp that truly spans their career this match has to be on there
1: yeah it's worth going out of your way for it. I don't know if it's I know it's of course on WWE and live but I don't know if they've put a copy of it up on the YouTube. It feels like something that they might have, just because the name's involved, but they might not have. But this is a match worth going out of your way to go see.
2: Yeah, I have not seen this match for free anywhere. I believe it is only available on WWN Live. Well, I mean, I mean they're doing a sale for stuff.
1: I would say this match <laughs> I is I wonder worth... why. Yeah. Uh, I would say that this match would be worth the $5 DVD for just this match. I think this match is that interesting. Would you say so?
2: I actually I completely agree it's, and it's a six I really like the fact that they're doing more six man tags the fact that they're including Americans in them now and yeah it's just a super interesting match I mean Aries, Horiguchi, Ricochet as a team is just interesting and Horiguchi doesn't really do a ton in this match it's kind of on the backs of Aries and Ricochet and then the Ronin side again I think, they, I think they missed something with the aesthetic just because we're so used to these strong Drangate aesthetics and one thing that I've always come back to in my mind as just a weird compliment for the promotion was I was talking with somebody on ProWrestlingOnly.com at one point. I don't remember who it was, but they were saying, you know, I I, I don't really like Dragon Gate. I don't watch a ton of it, but I know who everyone on the roster is because despite the fact that the units are so strong and everybody has a specific color scheme, everybody on the roster has some sort of different attire that makes them stand out. And that was something that I hadn't noticed up until this person had mentioned it to me. And I've always taken it uh, with me in the back of my mind ever since. And I just feel like Ronan should have come prepared with some new gear or some matching gear or something because I, you know, yes, the match came together in 24 hours in story, but it, it wouldn't have bothered me had they realistically had gear prepared for this match. That's my only complaint with this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, this is definitely something that was on the build and especially in retrospect. Now we look back at it. They definitely were building at least for Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano to go down this route over And they end up, they have gear in 2011. So that's something that's to look forward to a uh, post-match. We had a backstage promo with John Moxley, where he said he knew he'd face Moxley. but. they, but he wasn't that tough. Or Moxie said he knew he'd face Homicide. But he wasn't that tough. Not just like on the last line. It was right before Yamato went out. As Yamato's spirit started playing during this theme, and he said he wanted to end the night on a positive note with Yamato winning.
2: Yeah, a uh, a promo that was just there. A rare Mox promo that didn't blow me away.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, then we had the main event: uh, Masato Yoshino versus Yamato, and Masato Yoshino won this match. I don't have the, the finisher listed in my notes here. Okay. So I think it was the, he was able to do the soul. naciente on this one. Yeah. So not Uh,
2: yes. Yeah. I had in my notes that he choked him out with a Galleria, but that is obviously not correct. I did mean to write Sol Naciente. Um, Mike, this was the main event of Kobe world, 2010. Yeah. And on a show that featured this match and Shima versus Shingo, in a singles match. I I understand that the way Japanese wrestling was viewed and really accepted was different in 2010. But if I was running this company and I only drew 300 people for a rematch between two pushed guys, mind you, it's not like, I mean, even Masaki Mochizuki at this point would be like, okay, he's been on a few shows, but Yoshino and Yamato are fixtures of the promotion at this point. A big singles match, a main event from the biggest Dragon Gate show of the year, and you only draw 300 people to this show? To me, that is very, very concerning.
1: Yeah, and these are two guys have been on every single show. Every single and show. And have been,
2: have been very good on every single show.
1: Yeah, and they've been quantities of the, of the show. We'll get into Yamato's 2011 when it comes to it, but you have Masato Yoshino, the Open the Dragon Gate champion here. You had Yamato, the rematch from Kobe World, which this match I thought was a lot worse than that Kobe World match.
2: Um, I, I, worse is not what I'd say. I actually thought it was very similar to the Kobe world match in the sense that I really wasn't into the first half of it. Okay. And then they, they had, they, they have, I kind of like what I alluded to earlier, they have very good finishing stretch, uh, chemistry with one another. I liked a lot of the counters. I love when Yamato, uh, counters the Sol Naciente with like a pinning combination. They do a lot of stuff that, That looks good against one another. It's just a matter of getting to that. I thought it was really quite honestly on the same level as the world match just without the hot crowd.
1: And I think that's what killed it. I mean like I've already said like Shima versus Shingo was killed by the crowd for me. This was a match that the grappling was something that would become to almost to excess with these two and later matches matches they've had since then but i i liked it with that i thought that yoshino and the camera work actually here was really good for this match versus the shima and shingo one there were a couple moments here where like yoshino did like a jumping baseball slide to that like it was basically i forgot what they call it i think they called it the drive-by for roman reigns but he does that six years for roman reigns does it and it's insane And then, like, a really brutal Galleria. There was a lot of knee work early where Yoshino sold his knee in pretty smart places. Yoshino's a great seller, by the way. Phenomenal. Like, he's someone that I think that he... And especially if, like, Dragon it gets it, it gets kind of unfairly kind of put that they don't sell well and they don't do things correctly. But i like the way that because like yoshino like if you hurt your knee unless like you completely blow it out you're still able to move on your knee but there's like moments where like he will like try to work out his knee and he would like wince through it or he wouldn't feel like he got as much impact as he's supposed to i thought that was great and then yeah the finishing stretch was really great the the galleria that yoshino kicks out of looks absolutely brutal and then the finishing stretch, like, you're absolutely right. These two guys had tremendous finishing stretch. I went three and a half stars. Like, this is a match I still really enjoy, but when I compare it to the other matches, it falls flat.
2: I'm I'm in the same boat three and a half for me. I looked at my review of Kobe World 2010. it went three and three quarters. I knew it wasn't quite on the level of that, so I went three and a half. I will also say, to your point about Yoshino selling and then him kicking out of the Galleria, my big talking point with Yoshino is that I think he has the best kick out at two of anybody I've ever seen in wrestling. Yoshino just has a way of milking it until the last tenth of a second, and then just sort of the bounce he does out of some pins. He is, it's such a small thing that if you're a wrestler, I don't even know how you would practice this or get better at it. I think it's just instinctual. Yoshino knows how to kick out of moves.
1: Yeah, and the timing with the kickouts is what really sells it for me. Is like he I don't know if I know some people you can like watch them look at the referee with that, but it seems like with Yoshino it's instinctive the way he powers out.
2: I don't know what to do with this statistic because we are dangerously approaching the end of Masada Yoshino's career. But if you look at their all-time record against one another in singles matches, it's this match, it's Kobe World 2010. It's an October 2013 Dreamgate match in Corkin Hall, and it is a June 2018 King of Gate match in Corkin Hall, and Masano Yoshino has won all four of
1: them. Really? Oh yeah, no. Yeah. That, yeah, because he won the Dreamgate from Yoshi, from Yamato that Corkin.
2: Yeah, a very very good match. Unfortunately, yeah. I think one of those that has just been lost in the the footage Ether. purges. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's so much 2013 stuff out there that I would really like to get my hands on again. And that is one of those matches, but yeah, it, it seems crazy that the, the ace of the company and the ace of Dragate and Yamato has never pinned the, you know, the future, probably president of the company, Masato Yoshino in a singles match. It just, that stuck out to me here as I was doing my research again, I don't know what to do with that. Cause I don't see a plan to get to Yoshino versus Yamato, but if it happens, something to keep an eye out for.
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's part of it was, Yoshino was always so protected. And Yamato, at least, up until that King of Gate match, which was, like, the thing I think that that knocked Yamato out of King of Gate that year. I mean, he was always the heel, and in the title matches that they had, I mean, the heel loses at Kobe World often, and then, you know, he or he was not the Dream Gate champion and this is the one place where they could have done that especially considering what's going to happen in January so at least that's the way I look at it yeah i would agree all right and then we had Yoshino doing what i would put as a 0.5 on the shima scale of a go home promo with the u with the dragon gate usa call and that was it for the end of freedom fight 2010 after a long streak of tremendous shows and a couple weird ones, this was definitely a note to go out of twenty ten on in Dragon Gate USA.
2: Is this the weakest Dragon Gate USA show up to this point? It's either that or no, yeah. I think it's weaker than the uh the Canada shows, yeah. I... Yeah, I the the Canada shows had flaws, but they were they were fun in parts. I didn't think the show was that fun outside of the Ronin match. Even if Shima versus Shingo and Yamato versus Yoshino were good, they were they were like clinically good. Uh, there was an element of DGUSA fun that just wasn't present on the show. Well, I'm looking right now. Uh, open the Northern Gate
1: had uh, Mochizuki versus Doi on that, and then the. Uh, uh, Takagi and Yamato versus Hulk and Pack, and,
2: and and Shima Jacobs and Yoshino Dragon Kid, which we I, I at least really well I yeah I yeah. It, Shima Jacobs we both really like you somehow more than me I thought I was gonna be the high man on that yeah no Northern Gate is a, a flawed show but again like I keep going back to a fun show and then the other Canada show Shingo and Yamato versus CK One. And doyan Park versus the chikara guys mochizuki tozawa bb hulk versus yoshino that's a better show than this
1: yeah no this is the worst show of the year and maybe the, mo- the worst show in their history to be honest
2: uh at least up to this point yes
1: yes unless you really heavily you can't even do that for mercury rising because even though you had that really shitty hour you still had the uh, world one versus warriors six-way tag where where gamma was the mayor of phoenix
2: well, the, the other one that would need to be in the discussion, as we basically litigate every show from this year, is Fearless <laughs> from January, which I did not have a match that cracked four stars on that show, and I had the four and a quarter star with the Ronan tag here, but Davey vs. Mochi, the three-way tag, and Hulk versus Dragon Kid were all enjoyable, albeit not what I would call great. I... I like fearless more than this show. This show was, it was just a little soul sucking in a way. Fearless had Davey.
1: So yeah, I'm going to go the same fearless is better because of Davey. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's it for that show. But we have a lot to talk about before we close the books on Dragon Gate and Dragon Gate USA in 2010 case. And there's a lot of things that are happening. This was a very big time. At least I felt like in the year 2010.
2: Yeah, so we'll speed through some of this stuff just to give a landscape of what independent wrestling and Dragon Gate outside of Dragon Gate was looking like at the time. Um, I'm going to start a little bit out of order, but because it kind of pertains to this show, November 20th, 2010, Evolve 6, Chuck Taylor and Austin Aries in the main event of a show that also featured Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Jacobs, Ricochet versus Adam Cole, a relaxed rules match where Jon Moxley defeated Homicide, which plays into this show, uh, Up and Smoke defeating the Super Smash Brothers, Bobby Fish defeating Kyle O'Reilly, AR Fox winning a four-way match that also featured Rich Swan, Scott Reed, and Tony Nese, and Silas Young defeating Drake Younger. Mike, any strong memories of Evolve 6?
1: I remember watching Up and Smoke, versus super smash brothers and chakara and that was a fun match but i don't remember <laughs> i don't i don't think i watched this evolve show
2: no it's one of the few evolve shows that i have not seen
1: yeah yeah no i mean it, it, it's something where did that show also happen in Rawway?
2: it happened at the ace arena
1: yeah they would move to ace arena in union city after the show for their new jersey shots
2: Yes, which uh, a venue that, that we'll discuss shortly. I've got some thoughts <laughs> on that venue, but we'll, we'll discuss that a few episodes from now. Uh, to backtrack slightly to the beginning of November, we moved to New Japan Pro Wrestling. On November 9th through November 13th, Masaki Mochizuki and Super Shisa competed in the New Japan Super J Tag League, which featured, and uh, most of these matches were taped, and I know they're out there somewhere, I just do not have access to them, but they were all at Differ Ariyaki, and it features um, some really fun matches, Mochizuki and Shisa versus Jado and Gato, Akira and Kushida versus Mochizuki and Shisa, Koji Kanimoto and Tiger Mask 4 versus Mochizuki versus Shisa, and the final night of the tournament, Mochizuki, Shisa, and Satoshi Kojima Against El or I'm not not El Generico El Samurai Jushin Thunder Liger and Hiroshi Tanahashi, Mike. First of all, have you seen these? And second of all, do you have a guess as to the finals? What the finals were of the Super J Tag League 2010? Welcome to the Uke's form of New Japan,
1: everybody. This is. <laughs> it's wild thinking that like within like two years of this, where New Japan would be. Like,
2: that's so true. We are we are at this point, uh, you know, uh, basically a year out from Okada coming back.
1: We're a year out from Okada coming back. Uh, King of Pro Wrestling with uh, Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki is either just happened or is on the horizon. My dates are it's,
2: it's a it's a year from now because that's twenty twelve.
1: Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite. Uh, so I
2: guess two years.
1: One of my favorite matches in New Japan history. Uh, I don't remember watching these. And I try to remember because I try to imagine the El Samurai Mask against Misaki Mochizuki and I feel like that would be something that would, that would like peek in my head if I watch it, especially with how distinctive Differ Ariake was. But no, I don't watch it. Is this one that was won by Apollo
2: 5-5? No. Uh, the winners of this tournament were Gato and Jado. Oh yeah, and world-class Mike. tag team. World-class tag team. And Mike, they defeated... Rocky Romero, and friend of the show, Davey Richards in the finals.
1: Hell yeah, no remorse score in New Japan. Let's go.
2: And also, Davey and Moshizuki sharing locker rooms once again. It is truly a delightful thing.
1: Do you think that Jin had some opinions about this, like him sharing the locker room with that after he lost to him in Sapporo?
2: <laughs> Man, I miss Davey so much. <laughs> I can't believe we're going into shows that don't have Shingo and don't have Davey. I'm starting to regret this project. I mean, we are
1: approaching some interesting times in DGUSA for sure.
2: Yeah, I actually, I love 2011. I'm super excited to watch all of those shows. But as we continue to navigate uh, now the independent scene, we have to go to PWG on December 11th, 2010. Cyanide, a loving tribute to Poison, a show that in the main event saw El Generico and Paul London defeat the Kings of Wrestling. Also on the show, Roderick Strong versus Chuck Taylor, Willie Mack versus Peter Avalon, and the important match on the show, the reason we mention it, Kevin Steen versus Akira Tozawa. You know,
1: I always threaten that when we get to a certain point when we've run out of footage for a rewatch series that I'm going we're gonna do a Tozawa in America thing, because this match, oh my god, is insane. Because you have this was right around Christmas time at the Legion Hall they had a Christmas tree up with presents that I guess were just decorating the hall and then they started attacking each other with presents in the middle of it. This is truly when Kurosawa turned into an absolute psychopath. It was so much fun and then that's this led up to the the person that he'd be linked to for the remainder of his time and and PWG and his appearances afterwards and Kevin Steen like the two of them had like such a fun chemistry together. I don't remember what their team was. Uh, their team was because it was. Uh, was like appetite
2: for destruction Appetite and
1: it- destruction. Cause then they did a tag team match with uh,
2: super dragon at one of the wrestling reunions. God, I love that match. Dragon Tozawa in Steen versus Yoshino, Pac and generico. It is a match that happened at one of the wrestle reunion shows. We will talk about it. Had it happened in Reseda, it would be considered one of the greatest independent matches of all time. It just happened in the wrong building Which is a shame. Now this match, I mean, we've already seen the transition that Tozawa has made post-Chris Hero at the Battle of Los Angeles. Like, Tozawa is becoming the Tozawa that we would come to know. This is a match that Kevin Steen has talked about, though, as Steen didn't have any bookings lined up after the show that we're about to talk about, Ring of Honor's 2010 Final Battle. It is this match against Tozawa that reinvigorated a lot of the passion Kevin Steen had for professional wrestling that he had lost over the past few years. And just as a point of correction,
1: Nightmare Violence Collection. They are not Appetite for Destruction. Appetite ah. Destruction are Kevin Seen and Super Dragon. So, so your yes. head was in the right place. It just we took a wrong corner.
2: My head was in the right place. My heart led me down the wrong path again. Though. That is a damn shame. And like I said, we move to Ring of Honor's final battle, which we mentioned just to give a portrait of the independent landscape at the time. This is a historically great ring of honor show all night express versus future shock and the opener. This versus USA. alumni TJP. There's a woman's match here with Sarah Del Rey and Serena D versus awesome Kong and Daisy Hayes, Eddie Edwards versus Sanjay Dutt, uh, man of the hour homicide defeated Christopher Daniels. Uh, there's a cluster with the Briscoes and the Kings of wrestling. There is of course, Davey Richards challenging and then coming up short for the ring of honor world title against Roderick strong in an insane match. And then in a horrifically violent match, Kevin Steen loses to El Generico and the unsanctioned mask versus career fight without honor. Yeah, this was like,
1: well, all this stuff was happening in Dragon Gate USA is keeping up on it. This was the feud that really kind of took over the independent landscape was this Generico breakup and then the huge feud where, like, basically, Kevin Steen and Steve Carino were just brutalizing El Generico at every point. Colt Cabana was, like, his second. It was trying to get El Generico back. El Generico changed his mask to an all-black one because his heart was broken, and then there was, like, the chair that was used that was all bloody, and then just a brutal match, and then, you know, this, as you mentioned with Kevin Steen, like, this was it for him because him and Cornette did not get along, so this was it for those two. Is-
2: I don't think there's been a feud in wrestling that has over the last decade been comparable to what Cena Generico did. A thoughtfully laid out, year long feud that felt old school but had a new school mentality to it in terms of the way they worked, the way they acted, the promos they cut on one another. It is it is something that wrestling needs. And unfortunately, it just doesn't have that right now. And I, I don't know exactly why that is. I think AEW certainly uh, has been the closest, at least in America, to replicating this in some form or fashion. But the hatred and the passion and the intensity of the Kevin Stanton and El Generico feud is something that I greatly miss in the entire wrestling landscape.
1: And this is something that, especially with like the indie boom that would happen... Six years later, I think everyone kind of forgets about, it, and they think about their version of this feud in NXT. That it's just a, it's just a shell of like what they did here, and then like the route that Kevin Steen had in Ring of Honor up until when he left, like after he lost the title and the whole evil thing, he was just in scum. He was just working on a different level that was incredible. And El Generico, I mean, like there's a reason why they constantly go back to him, and those two are forever linked because this feud is this powerful. And, yeah, this is something that I don't think has really happened in independent wrestling. Since, like, I'm trying to think of, like, the closest thing to it, really, I guess, maybe was it Cody's pursuit of the NWA title was the last thing with so much, like, investment into it?
2: I I don't know about the build to that. I, I know that I was in the building at All In, though, and I am still embarrassed at just how into that match I was and how into Cody I was that night. I still think that one hour tease and Cody left thousands of dollars on the table by not having Cody new NWA champion t-shirts Printed and ready to sell as fans were leaving the building that night because their one-hour tees, they could have said it was their gimmick, and they fired up these shirts as soon as the bell rang because there would have been time, and I know leaving the Sears Center that night, I wanted a Cody Rhodes NWA champion t-shirt, and I think the, the, the NWA, I, I, part of it is just the coverage, the lack of people that watch it, some of the hands they've been dealt I think they are in the spirit of doing something like this. Whether they have workers that are talented enough to do this is going to be their greatest obstacle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like it's just like the investment here was it, and that is the obstacle. And yeah, no, imagine because knowing the Bucks, the Bucks would have had those t-shirts ready, you know? The Bucks would have sold them in the ring. They've been like, close out, security go away, come come buy his tickets, and they would have like pulled up the ring aprons case and there would have just been boxes of the T-shirts underneath the ring at all. Oh,
2: I, It's it's something that, for whatever reason, has stuck with me to this day, of just, just tell the one-hour tease guys your plans, have them print some shirts, and then sell these shirts as people are walking out the door, because all in, they sold out of all of their merchandise. I mean, there was nothing left by, you know, I mean, even by the time the Cody match hit the ring, I mean, it was all gone. And if they just would have had those boxes, you know, specially sealed do not open until this time hide them in the back oh god they could have made so much money on cody nwa t-shirts but it's not my it's not my cross to bear (laughs) it's it's in the past i can't change it i can't change what happened on ring of honor final battle 2010 and i wouldn't because i love that show and i i did not have the power to change what was happening in dragon gate in november and december of 2010 so mike what was going on in Japan at this point? So a lot of things were
1: happening. And as we talked about in the last episode, Naruki Doi was off these shows because he formed Team Doi right before, like two days before the, the, the show. was just kind of a wild thing about. And then we had a whole lot of stuff happening for like the remainder of the year. I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a, a little bit of a rewind just for a second, just to ca- catch people to speed. We've already had the fact that Doi is turned on them and as Larry and as Lenny Leonard said greatly on the show like he wanted him to be a minion and world one to be that way so that we had this new thing and this new thing that was being formed out of the shell of deep Drunkers. but Nesca the team assuming Akosuka and Kness were out for the save there and then we had a later triangle gate match and then we had a pretty big remainder of November like this is a big time like this is we're, we're now like where I said like we're building up to we're building up to it Now the foot's completely on the gas case. Now we are basically within the last, this will be the last episode that we talk about Blood Warriors as a future thing, because these these are the last few pieces that would be set up for that. So we have a couple big shows, a couple big moments, and some things to get your takes on as we go from this. Uh, Masato Yoshino is announced to make his next defense of the Dream Gate against Shima at Gate of Destiny in Osaka on November 23rd. And this is the same time as the November 5th, Corkin, which I'm going to run down with you, guys because I know that you saw the stuff that came out of this Quarkin, but I don't know how much you've seen this match itself. This Corkin was headlined with a match we don't see very often, the eight-man tag team Nanawa-style elimination match where World 1 of BB Hulk and Masato Yoshina and Neska of Konesa and Susumi Yokosuka defeated the Doi, the Team Doi team of Naruki, Naoki Tanazaki, uh, Naoki Doi, Takuya Sugawara, and Ujutsu Konda. Yoshino eliminates three of the four members of Team Doi in this match. Other other matches on the show is Osaka Zenroke defeating Anthony W Mori and Don Fuji. And Anthony W Mori is not a person that we touch on a lot. And and open the voice gate just because of this because this was the show that he announced his retirement at the end of the year at their first cork in in December. Other matches on the show worth note we had a Kamikaze versus Warriors warriors trio match of cyber kong shingo takagi yamato defeating dragon kid ginky horaguchi and Rio saito so case okay, so did you see any of this show I, I know you talked about watching the mori retirement match i didn't know if you caught this corkin as well
2: no, unfortunately, just the time period of this show that we have discussed up to this point, the 2009-2010 Dragon stuff, is the footage that has been least available to me and also subsequently the least interesting. So I haven't exactly attempted to dig out a lot of these shows, but I have seen nothing from this November Korkin. And...
1: It, it was a really interesting Nanawa elimination match. Like, Nanawa-style matches don't happen that often anymore in Dragon Gate. I, I don't think the last the last one might have been, like, five or six years ago. But it, I'm just going to read down the eliminations here, because it's very much like you can tell the story that they're telling here. Tanizaki eliminated Hulk in 21 minutes. He then eliminates Kness in 23 minutes. Yokosuka eliminates Kanda right after that. And then Doi eliminates Yokosuka in 25 and then Yoshino proceeds in eliminating Sugawara in 27 minutes, Tanizaki in 29 minutes, and Doi in 32 minutes.
2: Yeah, to, uh, I'm not Tozawa. Uh, Yoshino's 2010 is something to behold. I mean, he goes on an insane run at the Dead or Alive pay-per-view, where I think it's an elimination match where he eliminates a bunch of guys, too. Obviously wins the title at World 2010, and then has another elimination spree in this match.
1: Yeah, and... During this match and in the lead up to Gated Destiny when things really kick off, this happens at the Kobe show. I don't have the exact date on that. My apologies here for that. But during the show, uh, Doi has been pretty much uh, just been doing the buildup. But we do have that the thing that Nesca are the current Twin Gate champions. And at this time, Gamma is really going off the deep end. And he's winning a Twin Gate shot by constantly attacking... Uh, Memories of Kineska like he brings out chairs like it's actually pretty brutal stuff winning the challenge winning the challenge winning the challenge and then he even gets in matches with like teammates like Genki Horiguchi on, on this Kobe show where he starts attacking him for this but then they say all right you get this title match uh you just f- fucked up uh, uh Genki Horiguchi uh Shima has the dream gate the dream key he can't be in this match he's gonna be your partner and he says oh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a surprise it's gonna be a mystery partner the next day was their monthly show in Kyoto, where there was further breakdowns between Gamma and Warriors. And then he turns on Warriors and he announces that Naruki Doi would be his Twin Gate Champion at, or Twin Gate Challenger at Osaka. And that leads us to the 2010 show of the Gate of Destiny 2010. Dark match has a uh, dark three-way dance between Shenlong 2. Of course, that is the man we now know as Monday Ryu. Uh, Katoka and Super Shisa or Shisa Boy uh, six man tag of uh, Geeky Horiguchi and Ryo Saito with Nosawa Rongai versus the former Paws Hearts team because we're now on Mori's retirement tour of Anthony W. Mori, BB Hulk and Super Shisa they all came out in their Paws Hearts gear for this match Riki Choshu was on the showcase and do you know who he faced?
2: He faced Stalkerichikawa big Riki Choshu fan, big Stalkerichikawa fan. 42 seconds
1: ah as it should be yeah singles match uh Kakatora versus kz this was not this was like a match those moves around because all the things that happened on this pack defeated uh dragon kid to retain the brave gate and then we had the open the twin gate title match where gamma and ruki doi defeated nesca in 23 minutes and 14 seconds and a little bit of an underwhelming match i remember because nesca were, were really good at that time and then we had an open the triangle gate three-way elimination match where the Team Doi, team of Naoki Tanazaki, Takuya Sugawara and yujusi Kanda defeated the Kamikaze team of Shingo Takagi, Yamato, and Cyber Kong, and the Zetterans team now of Don Fuji, Kenichiro Arai, and Masaki Mochizuki. Mochizuki penned Yamato, and then Kanda defeated Arai, and then Mosato Yoshino defeated Shima in the main event of Gated Destiny 2010. In case, I know that, is this a show that's been up on the network
2: I don't believe this is up on the network. I know I told you before we recorded that I hadn't seen this show. I I know the Yoshino versus Shima match. I I actually have seen that because that was that's one that for whatever reason has always circulated well. That's always on Daily Motion or on YouTube on some weird account that gets taken down. Like Yoshino versus Shima in that match has just been out there. Um, I know I haven't seen the full show because I didn't know about the Poss Hearts reunion match, and I quite honestly would like to see that Um, if there's a full version of this show circulating anywhere. Uh, Drangit Network, God, it is hard to use. Um, I was trying to do what I could to stall uh, to get there eventually, and now as I am on that page and scrolling i do not see this match on here but i i believe i'm looking in the right spot and i believe that the match is not on there but i'm not 100 sure it's an interesting
1: show like yeah that yoshina shima match gets around and really it's kind of a two match show like it is cool like the Paws art reunion is worth watching if you're someone who's a mori fan or you're just want to see something a little different but really this is a show where pack and uh, dragon kid is probably the other match of the night other than Dream Gate match. But there's one big thing that happened in the post show from this that is kind of an important moment because we're starting to see important figures that would become the kind of the other side to Dr. Muscle. Of course Dr. Muscle is like the big heel character that's supposed to be a mystery and always reveals himself as someone and it's usually using a term. But Case we need to start talking about Metal Warriors. Oh boy,
2: Mike, please take it away <laughs>
1: Well, so the, their mask guys basically wearing something that become very clear of who they were to begin with. They wear what like people have called them, like the the 300 Immortal masks, like the mortals would wear it in the movie 300, and they just would be all around the shows at this time. And at a big thing, it was at the end of the Gate of Destiny uh, show, was that the Mill Warriors popped up after the match when Shima lost to Yoshino, and they followed him to the back, and they would become a big thing for the rest of December. As we're going to get into the... Uh, the here's something that I found in the Observer from uh, November 29th, that Gaior TV announced that it would be producing a wrestling show to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the station at JCB Hall in Tokyo. Joint, a Dragon Gate, and All Japan show with the main event of Kenji Mudo, Shima, and Tiger Mask 5 versus Suwama, Masato Yoshino, and Great Sasuke
2: i love this show uh it's a super super fun show to go back and watch we can actually we can talk about it more as we talk about the united shows because there's some room there to break down that card but if you have not seen at least the main event it is worth tracking down it's a really fun match with just an absurd amount of star power and suwama
1: I, I thought you were going to do the dig on Tiger Mask 5, not on Suama, but you, 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 I thought you were going to go left and you went right there. Ah, What can I say, Mike? I keep you on your toes. Yep, and something worth talking about, they announced the dates for the United Gate Championship as the first night would be in Times Square at BB King's Blues Club, a big, sh- a, a venue that becomes kind of important to them, uh, 129 in Philadelphia at the arena, and then, as we talked about earlier, Union City, New Jersey. But now it's time to talk about the Anthony W. Mori Retirement Show. There's one thing I wanted to hit on before we get to the retirement match itself. Uh, Nesca and Yoshino team against Team Doi. The Team Doi team is Gamma, Naruki Doi, and Takuya Sugawara. And after this match, uh, Yoshino challenges Doi for the the, uh, Twin Gate. And it turns out that the person that comes out is Shima. And they're like, hey, you're pissed off at Doi, I'm pissed off at Gamma, let's team together and go for the Twin Gate title. Because I know you asked about this before. And then they said, like, hey, if we win, we have to vacate the title immediately because we're not in the same unit, but we want to fuck those guys up.
2: Yeah, it's an unusual pairing. I mean, even during the blood generation days, 2005, 2006, there's not a ton of straight two versus two tags where Shima and Yoshino are on the same side, And at least off the top of my head, I don't remember them ever being in the same unit other than Blood Generation. Mike, am I forgetting something?
1: Blood Generation, they weren't in Typhoon together. They were not in Warriors together. They were on opposite sides of Junction 3 and Blood Warriors. Not on the same side as each other for Team Veteran Returns and not in the same time for Over Generation. So no.
2: Yeah, so a a that that's just that jumped out to me on the cork, and that we'll discuss after the Anthony W. Mori retirement show was very few Shima Yoshino tag matches with one another. That's a, a pairing that jumped out at me.
1: Yeah, the uh, and then they all came back together, and they all, everyone who worked on the card who weren't heels and weren't like juniors were in the main event as we had a 14 man tag team match. Something that is. We will be talking a lot about these crazy, huge tag matches when we really get into Blood Warriors Junction 3, where the World 1 team of BB Hulk, Masato Yoshino, and Pac team up with Nesca. They weren't officially affiliated, but they would be by the end of the year. Anthony W. Mori and Super Chisa, so you still get Poss Heart Reunion here, defeating the Warriors team of Shima, Dragon Kid, Ginkhi Horuguchi, Ryo Saito, Don Fuji, Kenichiro Wright, and Misaki Mochizuki as, at the time, the final match of his
2: career. Yeah, super fun match. Uh, Anthony W. Mori is still with the company in an office position. Uh, he he's a full-time daily employee there. His career is uh, interesting. I mean, there's a lot of people that that love the ongoing uh, Rio Saito Anthony W. Mori sort of love angle that they they did, and it's very entertaining. I have talked about how you know watching all of the 2005 footage that I can find right now, and there's so much great trios matches between Maury, Hulk, and Shisa. And, you know, Hulk is a rookie that year. Shisa is someone who is drastically shoved down the card and is basically made Blood Generation's personal jobber. And then Maury was just never a main eventer, but those three together were a thrilling trios team. And Maury's retirement match is one that is really fun. It's, you know, it's just cool to... To see all of the heels out of this match, and it, it feels very much like a family affair, but a heated contest at that, it's a very, very fun retirement match.
1: Yeah, and it had a very interesting retirement ceremony because during the retirement, Doi and Takuya Sugawara came out to hassle them. Of course, Sugawara is a former royal brother with Anthony W. Morey. They threw flowers at him. It looked like that Anthony W. Mori was about to cry, but then they left.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, phenomenal.
1: I I made Team Doi at this time was a whole lot of fun. So after the after that we do have the formal uh, joining of Nesca into World One. We do have a a note that the Mel warriors don't just seem to be just like tailing Shima. They start messing with uh with World One here, and that really starts on the the show on December twelfth. But after that point, then we really are getting kind of a full. full-fledged thing we do have some announcements for the uh, for the weekend that will be happening in america we're going to kind of skip over those we'll talk about those next week they do announce the wrestlemania the wrestlemania schedule here for this that they are going to be in atlanta this year that would be going head-to-head against the hall of fame ceremony but they avoid ring of honor it'll be the presidential ballroom in atlanta and they said it was the company's fastest moving tickets in a while but now we move on to Sapporo which we're getting to the end of this I know that this is going on a little bit this is kind of important stuff here because Sapporo we had a Gamma and Naruki Doi match where they defeated Nesca, and then we had a Captain's Fall hair versus hair match where KZ was a captain on the Team Doi side going up against uh, the World 1 team where Katoka was the captain, Katoka of course was a member of World 1 at this time but he was the low man and he was still basically a rookie here the other two members of this match were Yuzushi Kanda and BB
2: Hulk. This has aired, but I've never seen it. I, I, I know it's out there, but I just have not had the time to sit down and watch this match. Yep. It, it, it's a match where there's a lot of
1: tears in this month because Katoka does like cry a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And then we fast forward to the uh, to announcement that we do soon get. I am trying. I don't have the exact date that they joined the tour, But we have the Dragon Gate debuts of Ricochet and Brody Lee.
2: Well, Brody Lee joins on the 21st on Cork and Hall, which I believe is the next televised show. Right, And then Ricochet, for whatever reason, uh, is a few days before that because he comes in on a non-televised show. And specifically, uh, just as I get my dates correctly, Ricochet debuts on December 10th. 2010, and Ishima Ricochet and Mochizuki uh, defeating Gamma KZ and Doi in a in a non televised match.
1: Yeah, it's we're, we've now seen Ricochet, and keep note Ricochet came that date, and we'll be talking a lot about him for the Corkin and the Funnel Gate. We are going towards the end of this timeline here, as the 1221 Corkin has uh, a Doctor Muscle appearance in the opener with a Team of Team Doi. Rudy lee defeats kz in 38 seconds uh a match i kind of want to go back and watch if i can find a, a copy of this katoka and shisa boy versus super Shenlong and takuya tomo which is that's wild
2: six minutes. Yeah, that that's got our names written all over it that's the sort of stuff that we are unfortunately very very into it went at eight minutes so it got a little bit of time there yeah you no know, good for them
1: yeah and then Good. The the main events on this show, not like Gabe, their main events, but this is all stuff happened after intermission. Kamikaze, uh, Cyber Kong, Shingo, Takagi, and Yamato defeating World 1 and Super Shisa. It was Pac and BB Hulk. Tag team match. uh, The Mochi Fuji team defeated Neska. And then Gamma and Naruki Doi defeated Shima and Masato Yoshino. And one of, like, the most, like, heel shenanigans matches. Like, it was just ridiculous amount there it just was really just insane uh Brody lee did two matches on that show he was i thought i had him in the opener he's not in the opener he only did that one match i apologize and then the uh the uh middle warriors attack world One after that match and then we get to final gate 2010 which is a pretty uh stacked card with a lot of big events and it does involve their the reappearance of game of dio versus darkness dragon because Gamma is being an absolute asshole at this point. We do have a Kanichu Ori and Nosawa Rongai match versus Katoka and Super Chisa. A three-way elimination match to decide the next contenders of the Twin Gate title because one of the Twin Gate champions is in the main event where um, Mochi Fuji is the number one contenders of that. BB Hulk defeating Yamato. There is like this big like hatred between those two at this time. And then the last two matches which we really kind of need to cover here the first one is the open-the-triangle-gate ma- title match where Shima, Dragon Kid, and Ricochet defeat the Team Doi team of Naoki Tanizaki, Takuya Sugawara, and Yuzushi Kanda.
2: Yes. Uh, the Ricochet career trajectory drastically changes at this point. And You will hear me talk about it on pretty much every show we cover in 2011 that Ricochet... From December 2010, this show, or even if you want to back up to Freedom Fight in October, which is the, the Dragon USA show we just talked about, look at his career then, and then look at his career 365 days later. It is a different human, and he's good at the end of 2010, but he is like nothing else uh, by the end of 2011 because he spends, and I'll talk about it repeatedly on the show, he spends an entire year working with Pac and it's the best thing that ever happened to his career. As for Brody Lee, just briefly, Brody works the Cork and Hall match, 38 seconds, and then he worked two house show matches, one, one against Super Shenlong, one against Shisa Boy. Those both went just over a minute, and then flew home before the final gate show, because it was on December 26th. Brody Lee wanted to be home for Christmas, which... Only makes me think of there's, I think, one comparable tour in Japan, and that is Shelton Benjamin in 2014 for New Japan Uh, flew home uh, at the beginning of May and then flew back at the end of May. Minoru Suzuki and Shelton Benjamin defeated Azuka and Yano in eight seconds at New Japan's Back to Yokohama Arena in 2014, and then Shelton Benjamin flew home again. It is the only comparable tour where Benjamin worked that eight-second match, got on a plane, went home. Brody Lee left before the big pay-per-view, but worked a total of four minutes in just an absurdly short tour.
1: Yeah, it's absurdly short, but it's always been a thing that Gaijin don't usually do Final Gate. So it does not surprise me so much, but Ricochet was in the dojo. Like, Ricochet moved to Japan, basically. So it makes sense in kind of a way, but it's still ridiculous to think four minutes of matches. Hey, you're getting your frequent flyer miles though.
2: Oh, good for him.
1: Yeah. The main event was Masato Yoshino defeating his forever linked. And I think it's fair to say now his career, the, the, the person that mirrored to him, Naruki Doi in the main event where he defeats Naruki Doi in 28 minutes and 53 seconds in the post-match. And this will be the last part of the Dragon Gate timeline for here. As this was the last show of the year to the metal warriors attack, Masato Yoshino, and BB Hulk, they get a mask case, but they have balaclavas on, and no one is revealed. And that's how Dragon Gate ends its 2010.
2: Again, this is stuff we have to cover now, because the beginning of 2011 drastically changes the course of the promotion. I don't want to say forever, but it is the start of, at least in Western fans' eyes, I think one of the more infamous angles to ever occur and the company, and you, and you have to talk. If you're going to talk Dragon Gate USA, you have to talk about Ricochet and his first tour of Japan, because again, completely changes him. Maybe not as a person, but especially as a wrestler. And there is just there, there's so much stuff during this time period that even if it's not directly in Dragon Gate USA, it directly affects the promotion.
1: Yeah, and we are now t minus five months from the start of Blood Warriors versus Junction Three, which will end up being. Something that has the ramifications that probably changes DGUSA more so than anything else, and I don't think it ever really gets back to, is Blood Warriors versus Junction Three. Uh, I'm just looking at over my notes. I have a huge document here. Uh, Shinko Takagi suffered an injury in Fukuoka, so that might be a reason. I know you have all the timeline. Lo- you have all the uh, newswires. Was he announced for anything in January and pulled because of this shoulder injury?
2: I will let you know on the next episode because okay. I am not sure.
1: Okay, and then. We do have a a Meltzer review of the pay per view. The only five matches that made pay per view were the Ares canon, or not, Jacob's canon, the World 1 versus uh, Kamikaze USA, Shingo versus Shima, uh, Ronin versus Warriors, and then Yamato versus Masato Yoshino. He doesn't give any match other than the main event anything higher than three and three quarters. Like, three and three quarters is the highest thing, and Meltzer is very down on it. Just to read the, the quote from it, this is actually from the January 17th Observer of the next year. Dragon Gate's Free and fight pay-per-view debuted on 1.7 in an in and dish network in the United States. It's the usual product. Every match is good, although there's no matches of the year on the show. In some ways, the highlights are an improvement in the work of the persona of the newer American stars they are pushing, like John Moxley, Johnny Gargano, and Chuck Taylor. There's also negative evident right away, which is the arena in Broadway, New Jersey and the crowd. While the crowd was not dead and seemed knowledge to a degree to the Dragon Gate stars, it did come across with an indie feel instead of a major league feel. The building looked terrible on TV and some shots with only a few rows of people on the side. It, it was an atmosphere that no matter what anyone did, they weren't coming across as stars doing it. You got, good, you got good fast-paced wrestling. Everyone in the show is crisp and has basic booking direction. And considering how how Dave was about like the initial three shows here, That's a huge drop.
2: Mike, I stand by my statement. I think up to this point, Freedom Fight 2010, the weakest show in the Dragon Gate USA catalog.
1: I think so too. Uh, Were there any other big notes that you wanted to hit on before we go?
2: Mike, we've covered it. We have covered uh, the October landscape and what led up to it in Dragon Gate USA, and we have covered everything after leading up to the first triple shot in Dragon Gate USA coming up at the end of January 2011. We will be covering those shows the next three weeks. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at underscore in your case. You can find us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate, where both Mike and I tweet. Mike, where can the people find you? I'm at Fujiheya. It doesn't change, people. We're still there.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, I... Don't know what I would change in my handle, too.
2: No, I hate my Twitter handle, but I also know that if I ever changed it, um, Rich Kreich of the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast would never be able to adjust to it, and I do genuinely like when he compliments my work on the podcast, <laughs> and he always mentions my Twitter, and I just know it's too late at the game for him to change, and I don't know what I would change it to if I had to change it.
1: Yeah, I— <laughs> I mean, I like my Twitter handle. It's, it's nice and short. I'm the only person that would have a joke about Don Fuji as their Twitter handle. It fits me.
2: Mike, that's all I've got.
1: Yeah, that's it for me. I already feel my voice going, and it's only Tuesday. So I'm going to call it here. For case, I'm Mike. We'll catch you next time on the Open the Voice Gate Rewind as we look into 2011 and finally start crowning some dang tag team champions. Have a great week, everyone.